listening to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast, where we aim to bring you all the latest information and evidence to enable you to perform at your best, prevent injury and recover well. The Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast is brought to you by Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre. I'm Anthony Lance, physiotherapist, co-founder of SSPC, and today I'm going to be your host and your guest as I talk to you about ice therapy. So let's get stuck into the topic. Thanks for listening and we're excited to bring you episode 5 where I'm going to talk to you about ice therapy, particularly in the management of soft tissue injuries in the early phases. When we decided to get into the podcasting, we promised to sort the nuggets from the junk and this has become a classic case of exactly that situation. Once you get started in this sort of thing, you realise how many varied opinions are out there and how easy it is to get lost in the contradictory information that sometimes appears. But it's been a fascinating research topic, this one, and I've enjoyed the research and I think it will be applicable to many of you out there in sport. In this podcast, I'm going to include the opinions of quite a few different specialists. We're going to look at the research and the evidence, and I'm going to end up giving you my final opinion on where icing sits in the management of soft tissue injury. It's a bit of a difficult topic for me because I have to put my hand up and say that I've been promoting icing for decades, ever since I can remember starting in the physio profession. Ice, and in fact the rice analogy, rest, ice, compress and elevate, has just been a given. And it's hard when you've done something for so long to reverse your thinking or even think about uh, changing your recommendations of what you've been telling people to do for so long. Recently I was lucky enough to speak to one of the directors at a leading world ballet company and we were chatting about the benefit of kids entering serious programs so young and this guy was talking about learning being so easy when you've developed no bad habits and obviously the earlier you can get young kids in sport the better neural connections and the better habits they develop and as kids get older if they if they haven't been trained well then they develop bad habits and you actually have to go through almost like an unlearning process before you can start to teach them uh, the right pathways and this takes quite a bit of time not only to unlearn a process but also as we get older it takes longer to learn and it sort of reminds me of my business partner at SSPC Rob O'Donnell um, an Australian athlete himself um, but nowadays a physio to all sorts of runners from recreational level through to national distance runners. And he talks often about the years that it's taken him to retrain many of his older runners who for years have simply believed that stretching was the key to their performance, their prevention of injury and their recovery. And some of his athletes would stretch for hours a day. But now we know that stretching doesn't have the same uh, effect particularly with performance or injury prevention that we once thought it did so with these athletes Rob has had to spend months and sometimes years in getting these runners to 
unlearn the habit of stretching and relearn the benefit of strength. And, and it's a really hard thing to do to people when it's such a foreign concept to them. And this is similar here. I've got to unlearn all my previous beliefs and biases and start looking at the facts and evidence before us and relearning some new brain pathways and starting to consider that, that ice isn't doing perhaps what we thought it should be. And if you've been practicing the same skill for 25 years, which I have been with ice and sport, it's not easy to start all over again, but I really think we need to do that with ice, and that's what I hope to clear up with you today. So to clarify, as we always do at the start of our podcast, I'm going to put ice in the recovery category, but specifically today I'll be talking to you about ice in the management of acute injuries. I'll touch on cold therapy, in particular cold water immersion or ice bars as a means of assisting recovery from training and games. But the idea with today's podcast is to investigate the effect that ice has when we put it on an injury as it has just happened. Why are we putting ice on these injuries and does it work? But before delving into the benefits or otherwise of ice... I think there's some important concepts that you need to first understand and they're the concepts of tissue damage and also the difference between swelling and inflammation. So we're going to start today, I'm going to explain to you the phases of soft tissue healing and try and give you an understanding of these so that we can then come back and work out what phases of healing we should be applying ice to. So basically the healing process is the way the body replaces damaged tissue with living tissue at the site of injury. And basically every connective tissue in our body has to go through the same process once it has sustained some damage regardless of the severity. We have to replace damaged tissue with living tissue. And in fact our body tissues are doing this all the time. It's just a natural part of our lives. And before knowing how to treat an injury, um, it's interesting to look at these phases of healing after an injury. And there's four distinct phases that we're going to look at, or four distinct phases of soft tissue healing. Those phases are number one, bleeding. Number two, inflammation. Number three, proliferation. And number four, remodeling. And we put a nice picture in our show notes to show the distinct phases that soft tissue healing goes through to help you have a little bit of an understanding of, of those phases. But basically, any post-injury intervention we apply really needs to be based on the phases of soft tissue healing. So let's start with number one, bleeding. When we sustain an injury, basically what happens is the damaged blood cells will bleed. And the site of the injured tissue will then consist of dead cells and blood that has seeped into that area from the damage to those blood vessels. And the amount of bleeding can vary dependent on such things as the extent of the injury. So obviously the more severe the injury, the more trauma, the more force, the more bleeding we can expect. 
bleeding is also dependent on the care of the injury uh, post the injury happening and I often give people the example and we're much much better or, or footballers in particular are much better at these days at, at injury management but what used to happen was the classic local footballer would sustain an injury on a Saturday afternoon they'd be great at coming and grabbing the ice pack and putting it on for 20 minutes but then that would be it they'd be up all night night clubbing dancing drinking on their feet and then wondering why that one episode of applying ice didn't stop the swelling. So we really need to care for the injury pretty well to control and stem the bleeding. Um, and the other thing that that has a great effect on how much we bleed is actually how vascularized or, or how much blood is coming to the tissue that we damage. And muscle, for example, has a much greater blood supply than ligament. So damaging muscle generally will have a much greater bleeding effect than will damaging ligament so that's phase one phase two is the inflammatory phase now the goal of the inflammatory phase is to stop this bleeding phase and it does this with a natural vasoconstriction which is a narrowing of the blood vessels and the blood vessels the damaged blood vessels actually retract at the injury site and this all works to reduce the blood supply to the area then that creates a thickness and that enables the platelets within those damaged blood vessels to actually react together to form a clot and once this has happened the body then interestingly changes to an increase in blood supply to the area and this is important to try and get some of the healing growth factors to the area and get cells to clean all the debris and damaged cells and, and cart them away. And another interesting part of this inflammatory phase with the increased blood flow is the walls of the blood vessels actually increase their permeability or, or their ability to, to leak fluid out into the area which is necessary to help the healing. So, and, and it's this leakage of fluid or the permeability of the blood vessels that can actually lead to swelling and edema down the track. So it's these two early phases, bleeding and inflammation, that I feel that we need to question ice. And what I want you to think about here, particularly in the inflammatory phase, there's that initial early vasoconstriction or narrowing of the blood vessels so if we're using ice immediately to actually constrict the blood vessels well the body's actually doing this pretty well itself and then if you keep in mind that the uh, after that scab or clot has formed the body then goes into an increase in blood supply in this inflammatory phase so if we're using ice to actually reduce blood supply but we're saying that we need an increase in blood supply to get all the growth factors to the area, then we've probably got to, again, question why we're putting ice on in this phase. Now, if we look at phases three and four, I'll touch on them briefly because I think the most relevant things to our ice debate are phases one and two, being the bleeding and inflammation. But phase three is the proliferation phase, and this is basically where repair material is generated and scar tissue is, is produced. Um, and this phase is actually also based on an increase in blood supply so again we probably really don't want to be putting ice on too much into into this phase phase four is the remodeling phase and this is where it's remodeling itself back into the tissue that it's trying to replace 
And the most important thing about the remodeling phase is actually based around movement and controlled stress. So once we get into this phase, we don't want to be too overprotective with, with the injured body part. And remember that swelling's different to inflammation. So I've just been through a couple of reasons why we need to have a good think about why we apply ice in the immediate instance of an injury. And regarding inflammation, we've seen that damaged blood vessels actually spontaneously retract and constrict. So the body naturally actually shuts off the blood supply pretty quickly. So we possibly don't need ice to assist with that. And then pretty quickly after that, the surrounding blood vessels actually dilate and increase the blood flow to get the important cells to the area. So again, do we want to be applying ice to reduce this necessary dilation of blood vessels? But if we look at swelling, because that's another reason that people will say, oh, I'm, I'm applying ice to reduce swelling. But let's have a little bit of a look about what swelling is. And when I think a good way to think of swelling is looking at it that it's not so much that there's too much fluid being sent to a damaged area because that's all part of the natural healing process. Swelling basically is waste product from the inflammation. So there has to be some swelling in many cases after an injury. Um, the fluid has to be there because it's a mechanism by which our immune system gets the clean up and repair cells in action to actually remove all the waste. And the level and persistence of swelling that's sometimes seen is more due to the inability of our lymphatic system to adequately drain this fluid away. So think of it like this. The lymphatic system is actually a series of vessels like our blood vessels, but rather than carrying blood to an area, what the lymphatic system does is actually carries waste products away from an area. In this case, an area of damaged tissue. And the lymphatic vessels transport that waste product back to the lymph nodes where the waste is then disposed of. So the lymphatic system actually relies almost exclusively on the action and the relaxation of our muscles around the vessels, very similar to a pump mechanism to move the waste product away. So if the lymphatic system is our drainage system, which relies on a muscular pump for effectiveness, and we put ice on, which we know reduces muscle activity and creates stiffness, our purpose of icing, in this case, to reduce swelling, again, appears to be in question. And if we want to muddy the iced waters even more, it's actually, oh, there's, all, there's some evidence around that prolonged icing actually increases the permeability of the lymphatic system. So remember, the permeability is like the leakage within the system. So if we apply ice for long periods of time, and if indeed those lymph vessels become more permeable, the fluid's actually draining out of those vessels and back into the area of injury pretty much in the wrong direction. So we've sort of seen that maybe we really don't want a ice to reduce inflammation and we're now seeing that ice may actually have an inhibitory effect on the lymphatic system vessels that drain that waste product away 
So we possibly don't want to be icing to reduce swelling either. So both arguments are sort of gone. And this is why I think we possibly need to completely rethink this swelling issue. Um, and as I said before, not think of it as too much fluid going in and therefore trying to reduce it with the application of ice. But we really probably more likely need to think about it as too little fluid going out, which ice isn't going to help either. So don't get me wrong, we actually do need to look at reducing excessive and unnecessary swelling around an injury, but you're probably going to have far more success by encouraging appropriate movement around the site to stimulate those lymphatic vessels to drain the fluid away. And you'll often need some medical or physio advice to do that, so don't just go and move your injuries because that's what I've said. But we are starting to think that maybe... Uh, ice should be replaced with some gentle and appropriate active movement of the area as soon as we can. Um, and so in a nutshell with that, it's not really the inflammation and the swelling that's the enemy that we should be attacking. Maybe it's actually too little movement. And along these lines, as I mentioned, of too little movement, it goes hand in hand with maybe we're protecting the injury too much. And we'll speak about this guy later. He's called the anti-ice man, Gary Rinal, and he's one of the ones that has brought this topic uh, into the community so vocally, and, and he's very vocal in his stance about anti-ice. But in terms of getting movement or appropriate movement going early, I love this analogy from Gary, and he says this, Imagine you knew it was going to snow 24 inches in the next 24 hours, one inch per hour. Every hour you could effortlessly keep your sidewalk clear of that one inch of snow with the use of a good stiff broom. However, if you wait until morning and open your door to 24 inches of angry snow, I assure you that the snow won't be cleared with a good stiff broom and it won't be effortless. The moral of the story, if you know the area is going to swell, don't let it accumulate. Keep it clear. So I really like that and he's trying to say to us that if we know that there's going to be inflammation and swelling then perhaps what we need to be doing is addressing that with some careful controlled early movement and not so much with ice which isn't really going to have that much effect anyway. So based on all of that, is it time to rethink ice and rice for our soft tissue injuries? Well, the rest part of ice has certainly been challenged and, and as I said, it's we're really trying to get as much active movement and active recovery as we can to replace that, that thought of rest only. And we now need to take a long, hard look at ice. And ice has been a core component of treatment of soft tissue injuries forever, but I think the tide's starting to turn away from its use. We need to remember that the idea of anything that we do in that injury intervention phase is to reduce pain, which no doubt ice does, reduce swelling, which we're not sure ice actually does, promote tissue healing. Um, and this is the big one that, again, because of the changes in blood flow and the necessary increase in blood flow for the inflammatory phase, again, we're, we're really questioning why we apply ice in this inflammatory stage. And I think some of the misdirection with this has come from 
the general thought that inflammation is bad as, as soon as you mention inflammation to somebody they they think oh gosh we need to stop it and we need to get rid of it but hopefully up to this point i've helped educate you that inflammation is not only natural but it's actually necessary now prolonged and excessive inflammation isn't good but that early inflammation actually is if the inflammatory process continues unabated and uncontrolled then the breakdown and debris removal cells that we know are important actually might linger around too long and start to affect normal surrounding tissue Um, and that's a process we call secondary muscle damage or secondary tissue damage and that's when we need to start addressing and controlling the inflammation not so much immediately after the injury so if i get into now a couple of theories from different experts in the field Um, And in the end, I'll back that up with my opinion. So interestingly, even the person responsible for coining the term RICE or rest, ice, compress, elevate, which was in 1978, and it was from an American sports doctor called Gabe Merkin. He now actually thinks that ice may be delaying rather than helping treatment. And ironically, despite first advocating rice as a means of shunting blood and inflammatory cells away from the injured area, his statement now is this. Cold and ice are safe pain medicines, but they delay healing. So he's actually now worried that the reduction in the immune and inflammatory response that ice causes is actually inhibiting healing, not promoting healing. And that's from the guy that first coined the term rice. So it's actually quite interesting that the original selling point that ice reduces inflammation is the exact reason we're now questioning the use of ice. Um, And as I mentioned before, this has been pursued obsessively by the Iceman, Gary Rinal, and he's an anti-ice warrior who penned a book called Ice, and he's really vocal and basically the driving force behind the new change of perception with ice. And Rinal's clear message is that the cleanup and the repair process of inflammation is the body's essential way of healing and that the only thing that ice does is inhibit this healing. And it sort of makes sense when he says that ice is only a temporary slowing of your blood flow. So even if you apply ice, when you remove that ice pack, the process you were trying to hinder just starts all over again. So all you've effectively done is delay a necessary process. You aren't stopping it. Shona Helson, who's one of the world's leading experts on recovery, agrees now that there's competing theories on the benefit of cold water in recovery. So keep in mind we've been talking about ice for the management of acute injury. And when Shona talks, her field is mainly that of recovery. So it's a little bit different to the acute management of injury. And she talks about two opposing theories with cold therapy in recovery. Theory one, um, the idea of training is to adapt. So when we train, we break down muscle fibers, the body will actually respond to that stress 
by building up to be a little bit stronger to prepare for the next time that stress is placed on the body. So if we ice and reduce the natural recovery and regenerative processes, you may actually be delaying what we call that adaptation to the training stress. But she counters that with theory too, which is if cold therapy reduces pain and soreness, can the athlete then train harder and sooner? So this is where we get into what we touched on in the last podcast and Shona talks about a lot, which is periodized recovery. And basically what that means is don't use the same strategy day in and day out, which has been the traditional way. We've just thought apply ice to every acute injury and we should be using ice or cold water mechanisms to help us recover after every hard training session. But maybe what we need to do is match the recovery to the goals of the training. In other words, if an athlete is in a pre-season phase of their training where we want an adaptation and a development and an, an increase in the body's ability to perform, then maybe we've got to sacrifice short-term performance and allow a little bit of that muscle soreness and there's less need for cold therapy recovery. But in season... What should happen as athletes, they should have achieved all of their adaptation goals. And really in season, particularly if you are performing week to week, your short-term performance is the goal and there's more justification for cold therapy as a recovery tool because we're really not training to adapt. We're training to maintain a level of performance and therefore recovery becomes a lot more important. So really, probably the biggest benefits to ice bars, which is not the focus of of today's podcast, but maybe the biggest benefit is when athletes are seeking short-term recovery between events and not aiming at longer-term muscle adaptation. And this transfers well into a simple example being strength building in the gym, where the idea is to get stronger and, and bigger. Um, so what we're trying to do is get the body to adapt or supercompensate, and it's not the ideal approach to dampen this body process so we wouldn't want to be icing after a gym session when we actually want the body to adapt to the stress we've put on it so whilst it's not the topic of this podcast then maybe ice bars should be periodized um, utilized more as an in-season approach to reduce soreness uh, to enable people to return back to their short-term training or, or competition now if we look at another uh, expert in the field dr rachel murray who's a researcher with enormous experience in wound and tissue repair Now, she agrees uh, with a statement that says, at the moment, there's no evidence to suggest that rice, or at least the ice part of it, is any better than not icing. And she explains that one of the first things that happen in wound healing is the inflammatory phase, as I've been through. Um, And according to Dr. Murray, the studies have shown that this repair mechanism is very natural, and common and interfering with that process may actually worsen your outcomes so she says if you don't have that initial inflammation injuries don't heal as well as they could or as fast so she basically says if you immediately run off and stick ice on an injury you may actually be delaying your healing process slightly 
Many of the studies out there that I've looked at as well, so the research and the evidence, um, unfortunately, are of a lower quality. But what is there is saying that there is little evidence to support any benefit from using ice in the acute management of injury other than getting some pain relief. What's also interesting with the evidence is that it seems to show that icing has short-term adverse or negative effects on our muscle strength on our neuromuscular performance levels and our joint position sense, which is something we as physios talk about a bit, which is proprioception. So icing is actually reducing our ability to, to be able to control our joints well in sport. And these are all significant factors and bring in the question of why are we icing people mid-game and allowing a player back onto the field if the ice is actually reducing muscle strength and neuromuscular performance. So that, that's another point to think about. There's another leading sports medicine physician who's weighed into the debate, uh, Dr. Peter Bequee, um, and he actually comes into the topic from a slightly different angle. Um, he still recommends rice, and in particular ice, as an initial strategy in response to higher grade soft tissue injuries. For more severe injuries, he actually thinks it's important for patients to do the RICE program for 24 to 72 hours just to really try and avoid any uncontrolled post-injury bleeding or swelling. As for the suggestions which I've been through that icing can inhibit healing, Dr. Bequee believes that these claims may be a little bit overstated and worries about the impact if people were to stop icing their soft tissue injuries altogether. So he says it's a bad message and and in his words, I think I'm pretty keen that if someone has an injury with a lot of pain and it's swollen, they do rice across the board. So he's one that's come out and really thinks we possibly should be icing. So where does that leave us? I hope I haven't bored you too much with all the physiology and biology of it, but I do think that it's important that you understand the phases of soft tissue healing and what the body actually does in order to be able to make a decision on whether you need to ice. So hopefully from what I have conveyed to you today, you can realize that soft tissue healing is a natural process that occurs in the body after injury and really our bodies have got it pretty right so when we bleed the bleeding generally stops itself on its own we get an increase in blood supply soon after to bring good cells to the area and the inflammatory process is actually a necessary process of healing now I'm obviously not a researcher or a scientist but I tend to think Given the points above that the whole rice regime needs to be investigated further and certainly we need to have a good think about why we're applying it. There's a lot of literature around but the recommendations for ice and heat actually seem to be based more on our experiences, not not really on any obvious evidence or proof of an effect. So it remains fact that the evidence supporting the use of ice therapy really is quite limited and what is out there tends to be low quality studies. So we mustn't just rely on blind faith just because we've been doing something for years. So what would I do and what would I advise you to do after looking at all the facts presented in the podcast? So my own thoughts 
probably lie a little bit closer to that of Peter Bequee. And whilst I'm questioning ice, I'm also at the same time worried that, that people are going to think don't don't ever ice. What we need to keep in mind with this argument is that humans are so unique and everyone responds really differently. Plus, I think with all the studies, how do you measure recovery accurately? It's a little bit like pain. So one person's rating of pain can be completely different to someone else who was suffering the, the same pain. So if we're going to do a study on on the effectiveness of ice, how, how accurately are we actually um, measuring the recovery? And also, how do we know how much swelling there would have been in that person if they didn't ice? So we can only assume or measure it against someone in a control group whose body physiology is completely different to the person in the study group. So the studies on, on ice are, are actually quite quite difficult to do and so that's why I think we've got to go back to the physiology of, of healing and work out what what are we trying to achieve through the application of ice. So what these studies do which is great is challenge our beliefs and make us think and have reasons and purpose in what we do not just rice because that's what we've been doing for 30 years so as we get close to winding up the topic of ice i heard another good acronym that i think may actually start to replace the rice acronym that we're so used to and the new one is peace p e a c e and what this acronym stands for, the P is for protect. So for the first couple of days, we need to think of protecting the injury rather than the R of rice, which was rest. The E is elevate. And whilst there's low evidence for elevation, we do think that there's a really low risk to benefit ratio so there's low risk compared to the benefits that you may be able to get for elevate the a is avoid anti-inflammatories and i've been through how important the inflammatory process is to healing so we not only want to potentially avoid ice but we definitely want to avoid anti-inflammatories in this early phase the C is for compression, which I've touched on, and I think it is good to help uh, have some control over the swelling that we can get post-injury. And the E is for educate, and we need to educate people on how important it is to have an active approach to recovery uh, rather than a passive or a rest approach. So I think this PEACE acronym is the way to go, and we're going to slowly over the next well months see peace replace rice so i better put myself on the spot like i do all my podcast guests so here's what i'm going to be doing from here on number one i will keep icing major injuries immediately after injury i think from a pain relief point of view it's pretty clear that ice does reduce pain and i think that that is really important so in this case my immediate application of ice is probably going to be more with the purpose of pain relief than trying to ice continuously, believing that I'm reducing swelling or inflammation. I will apply gentle compression because I think that compression is important just to help control that initial 
flow of fluid out into the body tissues and I will elevate as well for the same reasons that that it does assist the lymphatic system in draining fluid back Um, and I think that active movement around that area is critical more early than we're possibly doing it so replacing a little bit of the protection with active movement when we can but as I said get your advice on that because we're not saying that you should just move every single injury. So as I always do when I have a guest on the podcast, I ask them for a take-home message to finish up with. And out of everything I've been through, and and once again I apologise if there was a little bit too much physiology in there for you, but as I mentioned earlier, I think it's important to go through that to help you understand why we're starting to question the use of ice. But I think my take-home message for you all is firstly how important the inflammatory process is and not to think of inflammation as a negative but more a necessity and really our body has extraordinary healing processes that are all natural and we really don't want to be interfering with what nature does so well. So that's it from me this time. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you now have enough information to go and have a think about if and when you're going to use ice, uh, I certainly will on the acute injuries for the first day or so just to be careful, but then I am going to head much more down the peace track. So until next time, take care and we will see you soon again for another podcast. Mm-hmm.